Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome to a special edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where we give you the facts and no opinion. Do we have a special big breaking news story to give you today here on John Solomon Reports? That's why we're broadcasting on our off day, Wednesday, because we have an exclusive interview with the man who oversaw the FBI's NSA program. That's right, the warrantless surveillance program. You know about that. That's the one that's created controversy for the last few years. Bassem Yosef, the agent who oversaw that program for 12 years, has a blockbuster story to tell about Andrew McCabe and James Comey and what they knew about the program, its problems, its infringements on American civil liberties, and their failure to stop the program after he warned them. This is a blockbuster you do not want to miss. And let me tell you why it's happening today. The New York Times this morning broke a story saying that there was an audit uh, that the FBI conducted that showed that in all the years or over three years when the FBI was using this program at a cost of 30 to $33 million a year, the FBI had only generated two leads while rifling through all of the Americans and foreigners' phone records without a warrant. Only two leads, and they weren't even substantial leads. It was, uh, by most accounts, a sugar pill. Uh, it really was a program designed to make us feel safe when, in fact, it really wasn't making a difference. But Bassem Yosef is going to tell you today what he told James Comey as the FBI director, what he told Andrew McCabe as the executive assistant director, future deputy director and acting director of the FBI, what he warned them about, what he offered them as an alternative, and how they came to ignore his advice and fail to act on a program that was infringing American civil liberties without giving us any benefit in the war on terror or the war on spies. You're not going to want to miss this. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. And when we come back, Bassem Yosef, FBI agent, the longtime head of the NSA warrantless surveillance program inside the FBI, exclusively on John Solomon Reports. You know, it's shocking that your home can be stolen this easily. That's the brutal lesson Deborah learned when thieves found her home's title online, forged it, and literally took ownership of her home. In an instant, thieves legally owned Deborah's home. She got evicted and spent a fortune in legal fees trying to get it back. You know, the FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest growing crimes, and you do not want to be next. That's why I urge you to protect the online title to your home with Home Title Lock. You know, the legal documents to our homes 
are kept online, where thieves hunt them. They forge the documents stating you sold your home. Then they borrow against your home and stick you with the payments. And no insurance or bank protects you. Home Title Lock does. You could already be a victim of title fraud and not know it. Find out. Register your home at HomeTitleLock.com and enter WATCH for one month of free protection. Again, enter WATCH for one month free at HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And now I am very fortunate to be joined by an FBI agent whose illustrious career you may not have heard about, but he's played such an important role in protecting our national security for many years. Uh, Bassem Yosef was one of the counterterrorism experts in the FBI back before 9-11, before terrorism was a big focus of the American public's interest. He solved some big cases. He helped bring some change inside the FBI uh, as a whistleblower, and then he came to run the program that we now colloquially know today as the NSA Telephone Records Program for the FBI, and he has a blockbuster story to tell us today. Bassam, thank you for joining us. Thank you, John. I, I appreciate this. So you, um, you have played this amazing role within the FBI before your retirement a couple of years ago, and I don't think a lot of people in the public really know the role that you played and the work that you did in keeping us safe uh, day in and day out. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit, just to introduce yourself to, uh, to our audience, a little bit about the counterterrorism work that you've done, uh, going back to the 1990s, the Cobar Towers uh, case. If you could just give us a little sense of your career. Of course. Um so, you know, I started uh, in the FBI. Uh, I applied in 1986 um, to uh, be a special agent. Um, at, at that time, really before 9-11, uh, terrorism was not such a sexy uh, discipline or, or uh, work. Uh, after 9-11, of course, everybody wanted to work terrorism and, uh, and associate themselves with terrorism. However, the, the Bureau uh, was doing some great work even back then. Uh, against uh, Palestinian rejectionist groups and, and even against radical uh, Islamic terrorism, right? Um, even before 9-11. Um, I was fortunate enough to start in terrorism uh, in 1988, right from the get-go when I started, uh, because uh, I spoke Arabic. Uh, I was the first uh, Egyptian Arabic-speaking agent uh, to, uh, to be an FBI agent in the Bureau. Um, and so I was fortunate to be involved in terrorism from the get-go, whether I liked it or not. Um, but I've dedicated my career uh, to uh, whether it be working the Abu Nidal organization when I was in St. Louis um, uh, or uh, working uh, extraterritorial cases and, uh, and interviewing uh, sources and, and uh, uh, subjects overseas. Um, in 1990, uh, Ninety-two, I was transferred to Los Angeles. Uh, I worked uh, the Iraqi program, um, and as well as the uh, 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 Egyptian Islamic group, or the uh, we called them at that time the Al Gamal Islamia group, uh, which right. is the blind shakes uh, group with the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, uh, which was the first major terrorist attack on U.S. soil uh, in, in, a, in a good while. Um, from there, I uh, went to investigate the Cobar Towers investigation uh, or, or lead the investigation from, uh, from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, from our embassy. And within a very short period of time of me being there, um, uh, Congress approved funding to open a legal attache office. And then I uh, uh, 
oversaw that office that had responsibility for uh, pretty much the Gulf region, all the Gulf states. Uh, but I was uh, housed in uh, in uh, Riyadh at our U.S. embassy there. Uh, from there, um, I uh, went to work at uh, Langley for a couple of years uh, in, uh, in counterintelligence. Um, and uh, from that point, uh, 9-11 hit, and uh, then I uh, was sent back eventually to uh, FBI headquarters uh, to work the digital media, to oversee the digital media exploitation unit, which is uh, a part of Operation Enduring Freedom in those days, to collect actionable intelligence from hard drives and uh, documentary evidence. Um, and uh, from there, I uh, took over the communications analysis unit, uh, which oversaw the program that you referred to, uh, the, the NSA program that has just been getting notoriety lately. A few years back, I had the pleasure to interview former FBI Director Louis Free, and he singled you out in an interview where we were talking about a lot, about a lot of other things. He remembered you, Bassam, for the work you did. And he said this to me. He said, without Bassam Youssef's contribution as the legat in uh, Saudi Arabia, we would have never uh, secured the cooperation we ultimately did in the fight against terrorism uh, with the Saudis. And he was able to help us make the case, solve the case of the Kobar Towers. That's a pretty high praise from a former director of the FBI. That is, and, and thank you for, for mentioning that, John. And I will say that uh, uh, Director Free uh, was uh, probably one of the best directors uh, we've ever had. Um, and uh, and those are very kind words. Thank you. Uh, he, uh, he he clearly remembered you among all the thousands of agents that he supervised, which uh, which says something big. Now, I want to mention just one thing quickly so people know. In, in the middle of your career, uh, you had a personnel issue where you were wrongly discriminated against, wrong, uh, mistreated, um, and you brought a whistleblower claim. Could you just describe for a few seconds how uh, what happened and how you resolved that and how you came to run the communications analysis unit after that case was resolved? Yes. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, John, uh, when I was at Langley, uh, the um, the uh, National Counterintelligence Center, which was uh, succeeded by the National Counterintelligence Executive, um, I oversaw the damage assessment branch and uh, and the the executive secretariat office. But while I was there uh, at that time, when 9/11 hit, um, everyone was basically pulled from everywhere. Uh, uh, globally as well as uh, within the U.S. Uh, field offices and detail assignments to bring all hands on deck and work uh, 9-11 uh, from FBI headquarters, FBI headquarters and from uh, PIOC, our Strategic Information Operations Center, uh, basically the heartthrob of, of uh, FBI headquarters. The, the, uh, the, the people who are the agents and the experts who are being pulled were being pulled from every discipline, whether it be counterterrorism or uh, organized crime or even the training division at, at the academy. Um, and I remember the director of the center where I was uh, working um, told me on the next day after 9-11, uh, pack your bags. You are a short timer, even though you're working counterintelligence now. We know that you have, uh, you know, you're steeped in counterterrorism. And the FBI is going to pull you, so your detail here is short-lived. And and I agreed with that because, in fact, that's all I've ever worked. That was uh, that was my my uh, 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 the career and passion is to um, to protect 
the homeland from from terrorists and um, so I expected that within a day I would be pulled uh, into uh, FBI headquarters when that didn't happen it took a month two months three months by the time February came around I was scratching my head trying to figure out what's going on I reached out to uh, top executives who I've known very well or who have known my work when I was in, uh, in, in Riyadh and Los Angeles and St. Louis before, um, I reached out to a, a then uh, executive assistant director, uh, Dale Watson, uh, who knows me very well. We interacted almost on a weekly basis for the four years I was in Riyadh um, and saying, you know, I'm here, I'm ready to help and nothing, no, no requests, uh, nobody asking me to come back. So that's sort of the backdrop. Um, and I realized because I wasn't being used, um, friends of mine who knew uh, of my work said, you must be traveling all over the world, working this thing, especially with uh, your your uh, polygraph uh, training and right. expertise. All the skills you have, um, right? And and so uh, so I said, uh, surprisingly, I'm I'm not. Um, so it turns out you were blackballed, right? That's what it, happened. You yeah. were blackballed. Is that is that what happened? Exactly. And, and that I was blackballed, but it, it didn't occur to me at the time as I was trying to figure out what is going on. Um, and uh, some friends of mine from the counterterrorism division would secretly tell me, you know, watch your back. Uh, you know, a certain person or a couple of executives are out to destroy you and just keep you out wow. uh, because they don't want what happened with Louis Free to happen with Mueller, uh, where it, he would rely on you and then sort of bypass everyone else so a bit of jealousy uh, a bit of uh, i don't know maybe uh discrimination i'm not sure but i was definitely blackballed and um, i uh, was called by uh congressman uh, frank wolf at the time that's right to explain what's going on and i did uh that of course uh precipitated him summoning uh bob Mueller to uh director Mueller to come in and explain to him what's going on, and he asked me to explain to Director Mueller at the time uh, what is going on. He, how is it that I am um, uh, a Saudi uh, terrorism expert, uh, uh, Egyptian uh, terrorism matters, and uh, with 9-11 being Egyptian and Saudi operative. And so I explained to uh, the director what was going on, and from that point on, it was merciless retaliation for uh, for sort of being a whistleblower and and uh, explaining all this to the congressman. So, so that's the FBI, the story yeah, it's amazing. Just for our, for our listeners, the FBI had one of the premier uh, Saudi terrorism experts in the world sitting on their doorstep, and they sidelined him for for petty jealousy. And uh, and then when he he came forward, they punished him like the classic whistleblower treatment that you see. But ultimately, you prevailed, didn't you? you? You filed some lawsuits, and you were able to get yourself restored into an important job. Well, the, the, um, uh, the, the job, I mean, the, the work actually <clears throat> was meant to be, uh, to continue to sideline me because it wasn't specifically, uh, you know, ICOS or operation. It right. was the technical side of things. But that ended up being uh, in itself, uh, in its own right, very, very important and and uh, very high profile. And, and for the longest time, there was a, you know, uh, we kept a lid on it uh, until, of course, Snowden, uh, Edward Snowden leaked it in 2012. 
And right. even before, in 2005, uh, it was leaked by a DOJ official to the New York Times. So the program was sort of um, spilled over a couple of times in the public domain. Um, uh, but for the most part, we've always wanted to keep a lid on it because of the sensitivity of the program. Sure. Now, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Bassam is going to tell us uh, what he found out about that NSA program and what he tried to do to alert his bosses, including Andy McCabe and Jim Comey, and what action they failed to take. We'll be back in just one second. You do not want to miss his story. Picture your face in the mirror. Do you see all those wrinkles around your eyes? How about crow's feet? Or those large under-eye bags? Now imagine they're gone. I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery, just gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for in your look. Don't believe it? I didn't either until I saw some of my friends try it. Now I don't have to imagine anymore. They look 10 years younger. It's unbelievable. Simply put, I'm blown away by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear so nobody knows that you're using it. Unless, of course, you tell them. Now, go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code VOICES, V-O-I-C-E-S, for 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm, plus an additional $10 off. That's right. You heard that right. 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. That's V-O-I-C-E-S. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit tryplexiderm.com today and use my code VOICES at checkout. That's tryplexiderm.com, code VOICES. All right, we're back from the commercial break, and we're here with Bassem Youssef, one of the most decorated FBI counterterrorism agents of the last quarter century, and a man who's contributed greatly to our national security. And we're about to get into the really explosive revelations. Today, Bassem, there's a, a story on the front page of the New York Times saying that an audit had been performed by the FBI into the NSA program, the program that uh, it was able to look at Americans and others' phone records and try to find dangerous ties, and that the, the so-called NSA program resulted in almost no leads. I think it says two uh, over the course of many, many years, even though it cost 30 to $40 million a year. I wonder if you could tell us, when did you realize that that program wasn't working the way it was being billed to Congress and what you tried to do about it? Um, so the, the program actually, uh, as mentioned in the New York Times article, which uh, I, I got a chance to uh, peruse this morning myself, um, started right after 9-11. It was literally started on 9-12-2001. And wow. uh, the... What precipitated that, what precipitated this, this uh, move over uh, from FBI to, to, uh, for NSA to collect was that um, it, was, it was becoming clear that the FBI authorities, whether it be national security letters, sole record uh, collections, or FISA, were primarily um, uh, uh, very lengthy in terms of uh, process. That it might take, you know, for an emergency FISA in those days, this is before the Patriot Act, in those days it would literally take sometimes two or three weeks for what we call an emergency FISA. And for wow. a standard FISA, it might take months to approve. So imagine 
we're trying to um, uncover a, a, a terrorist cell. Uh, and as we try to use uh, all the uh, resources that we have, it was taking us months to, uh, to, uh, to be able to, you know, um, uncover uh, plots right. and so on. Um, so because of that, and, and the NSA's authorities in those days were a lot more nimble, and I can't obviously still, even though this story has been out uh, in the public domain, I can't explain the source or the method uh, other than to say that uh, it was a lot more nimble uh, in being able to uh, acquire data on uh, targets that we're interested in. Right. So from 9-11, uh, this thing started. Uh, in those days, uh, it was referred to when it uh, was leaked in 2005 as the warrantless surveillance program. And uh, it, it was put on hold for uh, a period of months uh, until DOJ uh, would figure another way to, um, to I don't want to say legitimize it, but to, but to give it legal authority that's different from the previous authority. Um, right ar- around that time, I had already taken over the unit that, um, that oversees this program. So I started right. in November or December of 2004. And have remained in that unit until I retired. So I've basically uh, overseen this program through its evolution uh, uh, from from the get go until I retired uh, the end of uh, 2014, September 2014. Uh, during that time, we were looking for ways to um, to enhance, you know, the collection in terms of uh, zeroing in on the targets that we're interested in. <clears throat> And not have too many false negatives, but the program as it was set up um, was not um, was not giving us the best bang for the buck. And and as the article mentioned, uh, it was costing uh, a whole lot of dollars. Um, and I, again, I, the, the article can can uh, explain it, but I can't give you right. the figures again because that's still part of it the well the article just to help the reader out here the, the article said over three years the program cost a hundred million dollars so it would be about 32 33 million dollars a year if we did our math now you can't confirm that but i'll help the reader just understand what the new york times was able to report based on this newly declassified document right and, and i would not uh, i would not confirm or deny that but that is right what i understand said, uh, so we don't want to get you in any trouble <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, thank you. Uh, so at that point, um, I've actually approached um, executives within the FBI with a um, with an enterprise solution that would be enterprise wide, where we use um, several of our well placed um, uh, resources right. to basically give us uh, maybe three hundred percent better uh, collection in terms of. Uh, the, the minimizing the false positive or the false negative, not just one or the other, but to, to make the data more accurate and more apropos to what we're looking for. And at the same time, reducing the cost um, to pennies on the dollar. And I again, wow. I won't get into details on that. And I, uh, you had mentioned uh, that there was a an audit conducted. And so to give you the backdrop on that audit, um, the audit was resulted um, uh, from from uh, the admissions or the spilling of the information by Edward Snowden, and I believe 
that was around 2012, if my memory uh, yeah, I think that's correctly. Right. And so uh, when when the story came out, you can imagine uh, the uh, the frantic uh, running around uh, 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 within all the intelligence agencies, and the DNI was very involved. Uh, FBI, of course, uh, I was uh, tasked to run this audit to justify the program. So the audit was done by me, and the reports were given to obviously uh, the the FBI. Uh, director, you know, uh, and all the executives on the seventh floor, as well as the, the NSA executives. And then, of course, uh, the C Club for the Privacy and Civil Liberties, um, uh, I think it was called the Operations Board. That right. was also mentioned in the article. Uh, right. In fact, they're the and, ones and who it, are making it, this uh, audit now public as part of their oversight responsibilities for the intelligence community. Correct. Uh, so that was the same group, obviously different uh, different executives or different team members uh, in 2012. So we were tasked to uh, actually run an audit to justify what initially the DNI uh, at that time, I believe it was uh, Director Clapper uh, and uh, and the NSA director, uh, Hayden, I believe at that time, who basically, uh, when they breached the Hill, they... Um, justified this program by saying we have thwarted 50 terrorist operations or 53 terrorist operations. And of course, uh, be on the, being on the inside, um, I'm hearing this on the news and I'm saying, how is this going to be justified? Uh, they must have something that I didn't have. So of course, NSA comes back to me, FBI uh, headquarters comes to me, uh, as well as um, the DNI and saying, we need you to do this audit to justify the 53 um, successes. And before I even started any audit, I told them I don't have that. <laughs> we, we just don't have that. And so the massaging of the report started going back and forth in terms of saying, well, give us something. And it was almost a, uh, a bartering or a negotiation. Well, well how <laughs> many do we have? And so with me telling them we don't have anything, and of course I was working with my team, um, right. a, a great bunch of people in in, uh, in our unit um, and with with uh, our counterparts at NSA saying, you show me. I mean, we don't have any kind of a uh, success uh, that was not derived by FBI sources independently anyway. And we went So from, there was nothing uh, that came out of the database, right? All of this uh, phone database uh, uh, searching that was going on for years under the Patriot Act, under what we call the NSA uh, phone record search, that hadn't really resulted in any uh, counterterrorism successes, correct? That is correct. Uh, and, and for the most part, the two successes that uh, where they genuinely uncovered uh, a plot or information right. on a known uh, terrorist was already obtained independently through other uh, FBI tools uh, or wow. FBI uh, mandated tools. Uh, so from that point on, um, the the, uh, the the intelligence community had to face the facts and actually tell the uh, key club uh, or the privacy and civil liberties group uh, that okay so we actually have uh, two successes one of which was already uh, justified through FBI uh, processes and from that point on uh, the Obama administration uh, started working with the P-Club to say, we need to make sure now that this is out in the open, this program is out in the open, we need to 
ensure that we get better intelligence and at the same time protect civil liberties. And so how do we come up with a model uh, to do that? Um, so it became a, a, a sort of a, a, a think tank uh, atmosphere where right. all uh, agencies Let's solve this riddle, right? would come together. Pardon me? Let's solve the riddle. Let's make this program effective. Right. Let's let's see how we can, if we have to rebuild it or redesign uh, uh, it or what we need to do to make sure that it becomes uh, as effective as it should be. And so it, it, uh, the, the P-Club then uh, started getting the input from all the stakeholders and each had a model in mind of how this would work best. Um, my model uh, was put forth uh, as the one that would give us, again, the best intelligence uh, with, uh, without, uh, w- without uh, violating any civil liberties and at the same time uh, minimizing the false positives as well as the false uh, negatives, and then costing uh, literally pennies uh, 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 on the dollar of what it was costing us at that time. So by uh, this time, reason, Director uh, Director Mueller, who who knew by the time he left that the NSA program, as it was called in the FBI, really hadn't generated any leads, he leaves and there's a new leadership team coming into the Bureau. Is that correct? That is correct. When uh, Director Comey came in, I, I believe it was uh, in, in mid or late 2012, but right, right about all that, uh, uh, the, the commotion with, uh, with Snowden, and of course, he needed to be briefed on this program. Uh, as he comes in, he was not uh, he was not written on the program before. Right. And uh, I recall at that time the uh, acting assistant director was a gentleman by the name of Andrew McCabe, uh, who I've worked with for years in various capacities. But he had just become acting uh, assistant director. And uh, and that was very, for the counterterrorism uh, division. Is that correct? This is. Correct. That is for the yep. counterterrorism division. Uh, right. And and he made a very peculiar request. Um, it, he uh, wanted to brief the director of the, on the program and what this thing that was leaked is all about. Um, and so he asked someone who uh, didn't know anything about the program, was not read in on the program, to brief the director. And he was asking me about this. And I said, uh, Andy, I should be briefing the director on this. Nobody knows this program like I. This uh, this other agent um, is not even rested in on the program, and he insisted that it would be that way. And and I was scratching my head again, thinking, well, what what is this all about? It doesn't make any sense. Um, by some crazy coincidence, uh, the director, uh, about six months later, walked into my office uh, as he's making the rounds. So this is Director, director Comey to- comes into your office, right? Right. And he, he at that time had been visiting, uh, you know, other units within counterterrorism uh, just to shake hands and get to know people. Uh, and uh, and I respect him for that. So he walks into my office unannounced without his exec, without his executive uh, briefer. And uh, because I had actually known Director Comey uh, before he was director, uh, his daughter and my daughter played basketball together. <laughs> Yeah. I've known him when he was the acting attorney general from 2005. Uh, Washington is uh, a small so world, isn't it? It was a small world. And and so we had a 10-minute a, a, a ten, ten uh, short chat, how's the family and so on. 
And then I mentioned to him that uh, I, since he has come as our new director uh, into FBI headquarters, I have wanted to meet with him uh, because I needed to brief him on a program that I had concerns about. And those were my exact words. Uh, and I remember him saying, uh, uh, well, this is, uh, it, this is serious and uh, uh, come on up for a cup of coffee. Uh, I'm quoting <laughs> uh, sort of the, the expression that he used, meaning come on up. And of course, I wasn't going to uh, call normal channels, you know, go, right? go up myself. I was waiting for the invitation. So uh, I think it was maybe a week later that his exec uh, uh, called me and I said, you know, the director had wanted me to brief him on something. And she scheduled me for the next day. I went up and briefed him uh, at that time with his chief of staff. Uh, uh, I, I, I think it was uh, James Rubicki. He became the. Uh, no, it was actually before. Uh, he, he became the DEA director or administrator. Um, it, the name will come to me. A, a great gentleman. Uh, Mr. Dillon? Anyway, the. the uh, no. Um, okay. Um, I can't remember the name now, but it, it will come to me. Sure. Uh, so both of them were there. And um, for me to have briefed the director on this program, Generally, you would include the deputy director, the executive assistant director, and the uh, assistant director. Uh, it, you know, everybody in my chain. Right. For some crazy reason, though, as I am waiting in uh, in the waiting room in the morning, uh, it was around maybe 9 o'clock, um, I see that nobody else is in the waiting room. And the director walks in by himself, and he said, hey, Bassam, come on in. And I said, sir, I don't see anyone else here. Um, should we wait for them? And, and he jokingly, again, uh, said, uh, no, I fired them all. I just want to hear this from you. Meaning <laughs> nobody else will be involved in this yeah. meeting. It's a one-on-one. Uh, just, just, yeah, one-on-one. Um, let me backtrack for one second, John, just to give this a little, uh, uh, a little more perspective. Um, at the time that I began to have serious concerns about the fact that we're not getting the best bang for the buck from the program, which was uh, several months before. Uh, and even before the, the, the uh, right after the C Club uh, started interacting with us, I went to uh, Andy McKay, who was at that time the acting executive assistant director. So the number three uh, official and, and in the knowing, FBI. Correct. Uh, and and he uh, again, knowing already that he didn't want me, he was blocking me from briefing Director Comey at the time. I knew that. Uh, he would not be favorable to any recommendations I would make. But however, as the executive assistant director or acting executive assistant director, I went to him and I explained to him again the model that I was uh, looking to uh, to uh, uh, to establish, um, and to let him know that we're not we're not really getting uh, good support from this program, and that maybe we should reconsider this whole thing uh, unless we can you know retweak it. And I remember he was so adamant about we need this program, we're keeping it as is, even though we're not getting anything out of it. And and that really uh, concerned me greatly. And I didn't know who else to talk to because he was blocking me from, from briefing the director, uh, being the high-level official between him and the director would only be the deputy director. So I want to make sure our listeners so, understand this. Andy McCabe, uh, who later became the deputy director and the acting FBI director, 
you directly briefed him that this NSA program was violating American civil liberties without really providing, or infringing, I should say, infringing on American civil liberties without providing any leads to the FBI, two maybe over many, many years. And his response is, I don't want to hear about it. We're not touching it. Is that correct? That's exactly how it was. Wow. Uh, and so, so now giving you that little backdrop, uh, for me, uh, right before I retired, I just assumed that it was not, uh, it was not happening that I would actually be able to brief uh, FBI director uh, on the program so that he would get a, a reasonably good briefing, uh, knowing that the briefer that briefed him earlier didn't know anything about the program. So it was not going to be a full, robust briefing. And I just assumed that's it. I'm leaving the FBI. And when Director Comey walked into my office, I thought that was just an amazing uh, opportunity. And I mentioned it to him and then uh, I did meet with him. So the meeting was scheduled for a half hour. I ended up uh, briefing him for about an hour and maybe 10 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes, something like that. So it was a very lengthy briefing. He was uh, he was very interactive. He asked very good questions. And after I explained everything to him, uh, his only concern was not that we should shut it down or that we should uh, tweak it so that we can you know, protect civil liberties, um, but in, in fact, his concern was, uh, do you have a problem or concern with the statutory authority? And I remember uh, what I, my response to him was, sir, uh, if this was approved by the FISA court, who am I to challenge the, uh, the FISA court judges? I'm not talking about the statutory authority. I'm talking about the weight that we're not the waste of human resources, the, the, the agent hours in the field, hundreds of thousands of agent hours in the field, um, you know, being burdened with it since 9-11, and we're not getting much out of it. Yeah. And in fact, unless we change it to a different model, uh, we are going to continue to get many false positives and false negatives. And you can imagine with a false positive, we would be knocking on people's doors who have nothing to do with any kind of a terrorism act. They were innocent. Negative. Exactly. And so, so yes, in fact, there, there, were, uh, there was collateral damage in terms of civil liberties. Mm. Um, well, I wanna, and, at the and end of the day, that, let me ask you this question. At the end of the day, this program that got all this attention that had been falsely portrayed in Congress as a major weapon uh, succeeding in thwarting terrorist attacks, it was a big, giant sugar pill, right? It really did nothing to protect our, our uh, or did very little to protect our safety but did a lot to infringe on Americans' privacy and possibly even falsely portray people as involved in terrorism when they weren't. Is that a, a fair assessment? That, that is, John. I never really looked at it as a sugar pill before, but I left that expression that you just, uh, you just uh, coined because that pretty much sums it up. That's what it was. It was a way to say, you know, it's an insurance policy to show that we're doing everything we can when, in fact, it wasn't giving us anything uh, of what we'd hoped it would get us. And there's not any doubt in your mind that Andrew McCabe and James Comey understood from your briefing the severity of the problems, the lack of productivity from this program, and the civil liberties concerns that you saw about it. Uh, no doubt whatsoever, John, because I gave them the full Monty brief. I explained everything to them. They were fully briefed on the program. Andy has known about it from, from some time ago, and uh, and and if, if nothing else, I completed his, uh, uh, you know, understanding of the entire program, uh, and yet, 
to see that it was still being utilized after full steam ahead. And then from the New York Times article that um, it kept on running um, in the until same 2018. full force and full steam ahead until 2018 yeah. um, w- without any pauses uh, really concerned me and, and very saddening to me to see that uh, the intelligence officials um, weren't doing what they should have been doing as far as this program and as far as as far as fighting terrorism in general and and you gave director comey and uh, a future assistant director mccabe an alternative program that would generate a lot more leads create get rid of the false positives and false negatives infringe less american civil liberties and cost the american taxpayer a whole lot less of money is that correct that is correct and that's probably what grieves me more than anything john here we have uh, a, a, a program that was not doing what it should. It was leaked, and the Obama administration uh, very quickly uh, appointed a uh, Privacy and Civil Liberties Board to, to uh, look into this. And we were mandated to give, uh, we called it the options paper. Uh, right. And so my option was really the one that, uh, that, that would give us the best intelligence at the lowest cost, with minimizing the false and positive, uh, false positive and false negative uh, uh, intelligence, and so it made perfect sense that this would be adopted. And yet, um, the the director uh, basically didn't do anything with it, and in fact, the program continued to run at the full cost, which to me was exorbitant. Uh, again, from from seeing what uh, what the New York Times uh, article quoted uh, for the cost. Um, it, to me, I think this is something that needs to be highlighted, that there is a way to uh, to combat terrorism and to, to thwart, you know, possible future attacks um, if we if we follow the, the correct model to uh, to uh, to work this, this program. The uh, I want to end with two questions here, and I want to thank you for how much, how gracious you were with your time and helping us understand a very complicated but important issue. Given what you saw, given that you raised real concerns that have now been validated by the PCLOB, by the audit, given uh, the extent and efforts that you went to try to get this to Andy McCabe and to uh, Jim Comey to make sure they would do the right thing, what does it say about their leadership and the culture of that bureau leadership at that time that nothing happened with your warnings, with your good alternatives, with uh, the briefings you gave them? What, what does it say about their leadership? I would say that um, when you have a mission and you, uh, your, your actions and your uh, direction of, of, your, uh, of your team within the FBI or whichever agency that you work with, I can generalize it, that if, if you're taking steps that are not really, um, that are not really moving towards uh, achieving the goal, then you begin to wonder about the leadership. What is your motivation? If, if your motivation was not to, to lead the, the uh, uh, intelligence and counterterrorism efforts of our nation to keep, uh, to keep our nation safe, then you begin to wonder that this leadership was skewed and it was, it was not focused on the mission. Uh, and it would seem that there is uh, ulterior motives for their actions. And uh, you left the FBI just before the start of the 2016 election, if I remember correctly, late 2015. Is that correct? After more than about a ten, uh, 12 years running this program, right? 
That's correct. And you saw what happened. Now we've learned all of the things that happened in the Russia collusion investigation and some of the other issues that have come up about the FBI during the Comey-McCabe years. You talked about an ulterior motive. Have you thought at all what that ulterior motive would be if the program wasn't finding any terrorists, it wasn't finding any counterintelligence threats, but it was allowing the FBI to rifle through phone records, sometimes Americans' phone records without a warrant? Have you... At late, at late at night, when you've thought about this, do you have any idea what, or do you have any thought what the ulterior motive might have been to keep a program that was so uh, flawed and so unproductive, why they were keeping it going? Yes, I, I thought about that uh, many, many long nights and, and uh, times when I spent time alone thinking about this. And I hate to say that um, here's this program that was meant for a particular lofty and good purpose, um, and yet it wasn't it wasn't being utilized in that capacity. I think with all that we've heard about from 2015, 2016 timeframe and on, with the FISA abuses and, and other programs that were abused, which I can't really get into pinpoint uh, the program. The one that was uh, uh, mentioned often was the FISA abuse. Right. Um, there is no doubt in my mind now. Uh, looking at the backdrop and the information uh, that has come up since 2016 uh, in the media, that uh, the abuses were rampant and not just uh, for the FISA process or for the FISA program, but for other programs that were used to spy on the Trump campaign. Um, that, to me, is, is, uh, is almost the obvious conclusion uh, of what I've seen uh, that's been going on especially so, with the abuses. I'm going uh, to try to pin you down and make sure I understand the context. Are you suggesting that if these rec phone records that they were going through, the NSA surveillance program, the warrantless surveillance program, if it wasn't capturing terrorists and it wasn't helping capture counterintelligence threats, was its real purpose possibly for political espionage? Is that the fear that you have? Very much so. I can't say that 1,000%, but I can say that um, just reading between the lines, I would say that that uh, is a, a high probability that that program was used to uh, to handpick selected uh, targeted numbers um, for purposes other than 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 fighting terrorism. Same thing, um, it, it kind of a mirror image of the FISA abuses on Carter Page. As you know, um, it, it came out much later that the FISA process was for counterintelligence and counterterrorism purposes only. That was not what um, they used the FISA on for Carter Page. And so it, it's sort of a, the same type of situation with uh, with this other program. Um, I have no doubt uh, or very little doubt that it was abused for uh, a political, uh, political spying or political espionage. I just got chills up my spine hearing those words because that is the worst fear that most Americans have, that the great men and women of the FBI who do their job every day, um, uh, like you did, solving crimes, but to have a leadership that would leave a program in place that wasn't catching any terrorists or <laughs> spies at all just for the purpose of politics, that's the sort of civil liberty things that I would imagine would make our founding fathers turn in their graves Bassem Yosef, thank you so much for your time today, your your service to your country, and also for coming forward and, and helping us understand the real story behind the FBI's NSA program and that audit that leaked in the New York Times today. I can't thank you enough. 
Thank you, John. Thank you. Picture your face in the mirror. Do you see all those wrinkles around your eyes? How about crow's feet? Or those large under-eye bags? Now imagine they're gone. I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery. Just gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for in your look. Don't believe it? I didn't either until I saw some of my friends try it. Now I don't have to imagine anymore. They look 10 years younger. It's unbelievable. Simply put, I'm blown away by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear so nobody knows that you're using it. Unless, of course, you tell them. Now, go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code VOICES, V-O-I-C-E-S, for 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm, plus an additional $10 off. That's right. You heard that right. 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. That's V-O-I-C-E-S. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit tryplexiderm.com today and use my code VOICES at checkout. That's tryplexiderm.com, code VOICES. All right, folks, that wraps up this special edition of John Solomon Reports. This is a breaking news edition where we had a very special interview today with Bassem Youssef, the uh, former head of the FBI's warrantless spying program. Uh, we'll be back to you with our regular programming on Thursday. But until then, enjoy this podcast and keep an eye on this developing story. There are going to be more breaking news developments, I'm certain, in the coming days. Mm-hmm.